Welcome, everybody. Um, I, I use this joke every single time. It's not even a joke. Don't squint. I'm not Heath, who's the normal pastor. Um, I didn't shave my beard. Um, my name is Kirk Kiefer. I am um, simply an attender here and also a newly elected elder uh, here at the bridge. And uh, every once in a while, we give Heath some time off. Um, and so today, it's time off, although he's in the audience, so a um, little intimidated. Not only him, but also John Sullivan, who's an amazing individual and led a Bible study uh, that I went to for several, uh, several years. So a lot, a lot of nerves, so I just, uh, we're going to pray through them, and we're going to get going. Um, Heavenly Father, you are uh, almighty and all-powerful. Um, you are omnipotent, um, and you are worthy of all all praise. Um, Father, you have, uh, you have provided a, a way for us, the way, um, to be reconciled to you. Um, and you loved us when we were, were enemies of you. Um, you loved us so much that you sent, sent your son to, to die, uh, to take your wrath, to be reconciled to you, Father. And we praise you for that work. Um, Help us have that heart today as we read these passages um, that Jesus spoke, that you spoke. Um, help us have that heart and, and understanding and, and give, us, give us a deeper truth today that we can live out. In your almighty name I pray, amen. Thanks. So uh, we are going through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in case you, this is your first time here. Um, so we're continuing on. Um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his followers at this point, um, so his audience are people that, that know, uh, that have made the choice to follow him in some way or another. So um, if you call yourself a Christian or if you're a Christian now, um, you've submitted to the will of God, you, you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know, this message is, is very pertinent to you. Um, if you've not made that declaration yet, um, we invite you to listen and explore the character of the gospel. Um, despite how sometimes the fallen people uh, of this world live that out. Um, so in summary, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is going through how the law was given to God's people to preserve and prepare and point them to the coming Savior. Um, Jesus is addressing with authority how he came to fulfill the law, as well as correcting the way that human interpretation at that point had kind of twisted it. Um, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it by living it perfectly, by teaching it perfectly to his disciples, and by satisfying the law ultimately, um, which demanded death for sin and accepting the death that, that we all deserve. So we've walked through teachings on anger, lust, divorce, and truth, and we're going to walk through today retaliation and loving your enemies. So if you could open your Bibles, um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some provided for you underneath the chair. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that home. Uh, we're in Matthew 5, uh, verse 38, and we're going to read through 38 through 48. Jesus is talking here. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, 
Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He goes on to say, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <clears throat> so, we're seeing these verses overall. There's a, there's a kindness and grace um, that should be the foremost response to Christians, like for, in all circumstances, for Christians. Um, this isn't an instruction manual to win God's favor, um, but really it's how God wants those to live who have already been transformed by the gospel uh, because they understand the weakness that they have, they understand the sin, and they understand the mercy that was shown to us. So <clears throat> I, I, love, I love this passage because it really kind of, shifts man's natural tendency for reciprocation. Um, like, think about it. I, I read an article about the economics of reciprocal behavior, but it's really interesting. That's just that's what we do, right? It's a very natural tendency. If someone smiles at us, we're going to smile back to them. If someone's mean to us, we're probably going to, you know, give them a scowl or avoid them. Um, you know, our society, a lot of it is based on this. Work harder, get paid more. Um, reap what you sow, love who loves you back. Um, you, you tip who treats you the best, right? You tip more if they treat you better. Um, now, Jesus didn't come to, to blow this up necessarily, but he came to change our perspective on what reciprocation looks like. So he begins with retaliation, and he begins by quoting Lex Talionis. Uh, and I may have butchered that, and it's not a Harry Potter spell, Lex Talionis. It is actually the law of retaliation, um, eye for an eye. The punishment should fit the crime. So this is very easy for us to understand um, because a lot of our law is, is based on something very similar. Um, but, you know, if you are harmed in some way, then you have the right, the judicial right to be, uh, I'll, I'll say if you're harmed in some way, then the person who harms you um, should be, or could be, you know, retaliated against to that extent. Um, so an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, it goes back, the origins go back to the Code of Hammurabi, uh, but also God gives it to his people in three different locations in the Old Testament um, as the law. You see it in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. Um, but I'll paint the context for you in the Old Testament a little bit. So, so this law of, of retaliation, there are four things that we should know about this law. Um, first is God's way of maintaining justice and purging evil from his people um, in the Old Testament. Secondly, it was, it was always meant to be applied by an authority, not personally. Right? So it, it, in Deuteronomy 19, it talks about priests and judges who are inquiring and then ruling based on this code. Right? It, it's not a... Um, it wasn't for the one who was harmed to immediately strike back at the one who did the harming. It was always meant to be applied by an authority. Um, it really helps restrict personal vendettas. Um, 
And that, and that goes to the next point, which it's not prescriptive, it's restrictive. So it's not that you had to take an eye for an eye, but it was that you could only take an eye for an eye. Um, it really was, was limiting in nature, meant to, to, to break the reality of blood feuds. Um, I, I think about when, when we were kids, right, and uh, one of my best friends, Cody, we were playing football, and uh, something happened, and there was some argument, and he called me an idiot, and, and naturally I, like, responded back, because that was my natural tendency, and I called him an idiot, and then he called me a stupid idiot, and I said, well, your mother's an idiot, right? And, and so you, you've got, like, this... this this, this retaliation, these personal vendettas that, that can easily uh, build upon themselves and escalate, right? So it's, it's, it can be very escalating if it's personally enacted. Um, so this was not meant to be personally enacted, and it was really meant to, to be restrictive. Um, you see some of this, um, you, you see it today being twisted, where somebody is, somebody is shamed, or somebody shames a family, and then that, that person that shames the family is put to death. Um, this code was meant to restrict that. It was, is, is definitely meant to, to make sure that doesn't happen. So it's a good thing. And, and the last point I'll bring up about this code, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is that it really speaks to the equality of man. We're all made in God's image. The principle um, is that Damon is, is just as important as I am, that we have the same value. It speaks to our equality. So it really speaks to the equality of man. So the law itself is, principle itself isn't bad. In fact, it's very good. Um, but we see what Jesus is, is saying here, that it can easily be twisted. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, it can easily be twisted to personal vendettas. I can, you know, if Damon hits me, I can automatically hit him back because, well, the code says I could, but, but it was never meant to be applied that way. So Jesus is really trying to correct some things that were happening then, um, some sort of justification for actions for personal vendettas, which it was never meant to do. And so I love what Jesus does next because he, he says that, you've heard it said, and then he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Um, so I, I struggled, frankly, with this verse a lot because what does evil mean? It was, it was, it was a, um, I spent a lot of time looking at what the context that Jesus is talking about here. Do not resist the one who is evil. Um, what we know is he's not talking about the devil. Uh, in, in a chapter later, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, to deliver us from evil, right? So that evil in this, in that con in this context does not mean the devil, and it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean evil, like evil, evil, right? Um, it really is talking about something that is hurtful to you. So hurtful in effect or in influence. So the evil he's talking about is something that is hurtful to you. Um, and, and even the verb resist in, the, in this context can, can really be understood as, as, as a way, like, not to resist in the court of law. So you can look at it. There, there's a lot of different interpretations, but, but one is that if you are harmed, you don't necessarily resist in the court of law. 
there's something there's hurtful. There's something that's hurtful to you. Now Jesus kind of expounds upon what he just says in four examples. And as we go through these examples, I think we can really paint a better picture on what he's saying. So if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So the significance of the right cheek, so if you get slapped on the right cheek and somebody slaps you his right-handed, it's a backhanded slap. Um, and a backhanded slap, there's actually a lot of scholarly articles written about backhanded slaps, believe it or not. And, and I think it's because like seminary students like Dave Tenhave get really bored with normal, normal study and, and want to write about backhanded slaps in, in first century Jewish culture. But it was meant as an, as an insult, not necessarily meant to harm, but meant, meant as an insult. And so to return that immediately, you're going to lead to a natural escalation, just like what happens on the playground. Um, we're called not to retaliate against evil done to us. Um, if someone insults me, humiliates me, my natural reaction is to insult them back. Um, and this is, Jesus is prohibiting our tendency to seek revenge, to rationalize our hateful and simple tendencies with something that, the, that was prescribed by the law uh, that is good. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't say anything about self-defense, necessarily. There are numerous passages in the Bible which talk about self-defense, self-defense in the court of law. Um, it doesn't necessarily talk about fleeing from evil. Um, we see that Jesus fled from evil in times, like he was going to be stoned and he escaped. He was going to be thrown off a cliff and he escaped. Um, so let's not, let's not extend this, but let's give it its due and flesh it out. Um, uh, the other thing is, you know, this doesn't necessarily prohibit organized armed resistance against evil forces. So not going to get political. We can, we can dive into this more, but that's not the heart of the passage. So let's go to the heart of the passage. There's situations in our lives where we want to retaliate. Um, the most common, I think, everybody, everybody deals with is driving, right? Like somebody cuts you off and you want to go and, 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 dry, and catch up to them and cut them back off. Like it's our tendency. Our, our simple tendency is to do that. Um, what about relationships, right? If somebody didn't invite you to their birthday party, and are you going to invite them to your birthday party? Like, you're, you're going to reciprocate what they gave you typically. That, that is just your natural tendency, just terrible. Um, or, like, marriage. If my wife didn't do the dishes, and, well, then I'm not going to do the dishes, right? Like, if she didn't do the dishes, I'm not going to do the dishes. Or I'm not going to do laundry because she didn't do the dishes. Like, like, that is that type of retaliation, which we, we everyday life, um, I think about work. Um, work is <clears throat> another just perfect example of, you know, sometimes we work in a very cutthroat, cutthroat environments where a colleague may try to make us look bad. Um, and our tendency is, is not to extend grace to them. Our tendency is to, to give it back to them, to make them look bad. Um, but Jesus is calling us to, to something above that. He's calling us to something, something more than that. Um, we see that, that our retaliation, our vendettas against people, in large or small, is the really sins of pride and of selfishness that we have. Um, I want to take a moment on personal wrath um, and just, like, expound upon it a little bit. Um, so I, one, of, one of the issues with personal wrath is that there can naturally lead to escalation, which is bad. Um, 
But think about how silly personal wrath is. Um, Jesus suffered for our sins, but he also suffered and died for the sins of the people that just sinned against you. Like, God enacted his wrath for those sins. So it is, you know, at its, at its basic nature, it is prideful and foolish, and this isn't a word, but hubristic, to, uh, to think that I need to show someone who the boss is, to think I should enact my own personal wrath when God has already enacted his wrath. I understand we want justice, um, and, and sometimes our lack of faith and lack of patience um, can lead us um, into trying to take justice in our own hands. Uh, but, but as Christians, our promise and hope is that Jesus will come back and all, rights will, all wrongs will be righted. Like, there will be justice on earth. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard in these words. Um, he goes on to give three other examples, and we're going to run through them. Um, and they don't really sound like retaliation, so, so what is he talking about then? We'll get to the spirit what Jesus is referring to. So if somebody sues you for your tunic, give him also your cloak. Um, Dave Louie, who's a lawyer, is freaking out right now because that sounds like a terrible way um, <laughs> to defend yourself. But um, in, these, in these times, you had a, a loincloth, an inner tunic, and then an outer cloak. And the outer cloak was an inalienable right. So somebody could sue you for your inner tunic, but your outer cloak, it's an inalienable right. You have a right to that cloak. And Jesus is saying to even give up your inalienable rights sometimes. Goes on to say that somebody forces you to go one mile, go two miles, right? You go the extra mile. Um, and this is, this is really speaking to um, oppression. So at this time, um, the, Roman, the Roman Empire is over Israel, the nation of Israel, and, and the Romans had a law where basically a soldier can make you carry his luggage or his equipment for a Roman mile. So it's talking about oppression here. And he's saying, don't just go one mile, offer to go two. Literally going the extra mile. And he goes on to say, give to one who begs and do not refuse one who wants to borrow from you. Um, he doesn't say specifically how we are to help people. Um, and, and there are other verses which, um, frankly, you know, there are other verses which speak specifically to, to helping others. Um, but what we do know is that we are to give to those who are truly needy. We are to be unselfish, um, not only with our money. Um, this isn't unselfish carelessly or recklessly, but it's unselfish. Unselfish with our money, unselfish with our time. Um, unselfish with the awkwardness it might occur when you have to encounter people that are, that are asking you for money or begging for something from you. Um, we're called to be unselfish. We're called to have changed hearts. And that's the overarching principle is that it's speaking to our changed hearts from Jesus' work. Um, so we are called as Christians to act more generously than what the law requires. So the law is restrictive in some cases, um, 
but we're called to go above and beyond. We are called to act even more generously. Um, Christian kindness should extend in every situation, even ones when we're not where we are harmed. So we should always be kind. Um, now, God knows what's in our hearts, um, and it's not acceptable to retaliate. It's not acceptable to avoid and rationalize, as I tend to do when confronted to some of these situations. So I'm going to finish this out with this thought um, with Paul. Paul's writing Romans 12, 17 through 21. Um, I probably could have just read this and it would have been enough. But repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, not only are we called to be unselfish and generous and not take personal retaliation, to be above that, um, we're called to go even further and actually work for the benefit of those that we're at odds with. Which brings us to the, to the next topic, which is loving our enemies. Um, Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So, th- so in that, there's, there's shades of the greatest commandment, but then, then what? Like, he adds on and hate your enemy, uh, which, which is not the law. Like, there, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says to hate your enemy. Um, now, scholars differ on why that was included, but what we can infer is that Jesus said, you've heard it said. So it is being said by somebody. It is being twisted. The law is being twisted to not just love your neighbor, but you're hating your enemy. And that's not the law. Let's go to Leviticus 19, verse 18, and Leviticus 19, verses 33 through 34. So they should be up there. Um, and and we'll, we'll, prove, we'll prove that point. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in 19, 33 through 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So we're to love our neighbor, and we're also to love the stranger. We're to love the outsider. Um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus shows us how far that is, right? So, so we, we are to love enemies. Like, that is, uh, that is Jesus' way. And Jesus is really setting the record straight on this matter. Um, and in verse 44, um, he takes it to another level, right? So love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So not only am I supposed to love my enemies, now I've got I've to pray for them. Pray for the ones that are persecuting me. Like, that is hard. Um, and it's just crazy, frankly. Uh, why, why would I ever, ever want to do that? Um, and Jesus gives us two reasons. One, so we may be sons of Father, of the Father in heaven. So we can be more like Jesus, that's what that means. So we can be further reconciled to uh, the perfection that, that God calls us to. God calls us to love our enemies. That's why we should do it. That, that alone is enough. 
And then the second one, he says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So rain and sun are blessings. So God blesses both evil and good. Like God loves our enemies. This goes back to the, to the point that, you know, we're all made in the image of God. Even our enemies are. Uh, I'm reading this great book from Francis Schaeffer called Escape from Reason. Um, and I'm going to read a couple quotes from it that really talk about um, how in modern man this is so difficult for us to grasp. People today are trying to hang on to the dignity of man and they do not know how to because they have lost the truth that man is made in the image of God. We cannot deal with people like human beings. We cannot deal with them on the high level of true humanity unless we know their true origin, who they are. God tells man who he is. God tells us that he created man in his image. So man is something wonderful. Like all men are something wonderful. Our enemies are wonderful. There's something wonderful about our enemies. Like, that's tough. Are, are your enemies wonderful to you? I struggle with that, right? Um, the guy that worked that sabotaged us, right? I mean, is that, is he, do I feel like he's wonderful? Um, the person who's, who's suing you for a minor fender bender, right? Are, are they wonderful? The oppressive authority you may live under, is that, is that wonderful? Is that person wonderful? Um, terrorism, terrorists, are, are they wonderful? So how do we get to the point where we're going to love our enemies? And it's, it's seeing them as, as God does. Seeing them as God sees our enemies and seeing them as God sees us, right? Because we were all enemies to God. We are all enemies to God. Um, we're all made in the image of God. There's something wonderful about us, about each of us. Uh, but man has fallen, and we all were enemies to God. <clears throat> now, there's real-world cost to doing this, to loving our enemies, right? It's not necessarily a formula for advancement in business. Um, others may look that you're weak, right, when you're loving your enemies, um, but Jesus explained earlier in the Beatitudes that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? The prize is worth it, that we could be that much more like God, um, to look like a son of the Father, like that is worth it. And what, what a great, what, there's no better testimony to Jesus' work than loving your enemies. Like what better testimony is there than Jesus' work? And that's what Jesus did for us. And if we can extend that grace and love to even our enemies, like we are, we are reflecting Jesus. Like that is a great testimony. So the next, next few verses talk about really a summation on all his teaching about him coming to fulfill the law. Um, and he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And the word for perfect here is teleos. 
Um, it means goal or purpose. It means something that's finished, complete, full, um, wanting for nothing. Um, I read a commentary and it talks about specifically it can be used in a relative sense and an absolute sense. Like God is absolutely perfect. Man can be relatively perfect um, as we continue to mature and be perfectly obedient in Christ. So it's only through Christ can we be perfect and only as we are spurned to maturity and obedience in that walk of faith. I love some versions of the Bible actually say, you therefore will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it is this process of sanctification, right? It, it's, it's not that, um, I, I love, oh man, you know, I love the Lord. Um, <laughs> I do, it's just, it's just so great. I mean, we're, we're always saved from sin, but we're saved to something, Right? We're saved from death to life. We're saved from sin to righteousness. We're saved from self-interest to his glory. And we're saved from flesh to perfection according to the Spirit. Again, Paul, Romans, look at Romans 8.1 because Paul sums up in, in two sentences what it's taken me, 30 minutes. Um, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Which brings me to the, the, the big idea for today. Um, we talked about the law of reciprocation or the economics of reciprocation at the beginning. Um, Jesus didn't necessarily blow that up, right? But what he calls Christians to do is reciprocate his love, not other people's actions, but to reciprocate his love. We have the perfect model in this for Jesus' life. Um, today is Palm Sunday. It's Jesus' Jesus's triumphal return into Jerusalem. And I just want you to think about what Jesus did during this week. He did not resist the evil when he was betrayed by Judas and the evil in the trial, which led to his conviction. He turned the other cheek. He submitted to the will of God fully. He gave up his tunic and his cloak as the soldiers cast lots for him. And all the while, Jesus was continually praying as he was being crucified for his enemies. He was praying for us continually, for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Like, what a perfect example. The simple truth is that we are no longer governed by what you did to me or by what you can do for me but rather we're governed by what he did for us. We're going to enter um, into a time of corporate prayer every week um, where we open the floor and um, 
there's something on your heart, mind, uh, we invite you to pray aloud. I'll open the prayer up, and I'll also close it um, as we go into communion. So I'm going to open it now. Father, um, we praise you for your righteousness, for your holiness. Um, We praise you for just loving us when we were your enemies, Father. Loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us, to accept the wrath that we deserved so that we could be saved from that sin and we could be saved to your righteousness, righteousness, Father. Uh, 